happy new year. It is the fan drive time. Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy for the first time in 2023 after Christmas. Uh, brief week for me, even briefer for you, Blake, as uh, as you're off again on Wednesday. Oh, sorry, Thursday this week. I'll be with Shai Davidi last couple of days of this week. Um, we have a short show today as we're... Uh, preempted by Toronto Maple Leafs pregame, Leafs and St. Louis Blues. Did did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Uh, I guess. I didn't really want a lot. Okay, um, so then yes. The answer would be yes. Yeah, I didn't need anything. Um, I just wanted to spoil my little nephew. Okay. Got him then his you... first mini sticks. Good. Got him his first baseball glove. Uh, I didn't really need anything. I wasn't really off. Yeah. Um, I just kind of... Did other stuff <laughs> yeah. with the show not on. Um, you got a break from me, though, so that was nice. It was. Um, yeah, I don't know. It felt weird. Like, it just, like, especially with the holidays falling on weekends. Yeah. It just felt like I had two, two like, normal people weekends. Yeah. Uh, it was um, a weird break for me as well. I spent some time taking care of a, a vomiting four-year-old. But then I also went to Legoland. So there were ups and downs through the whole thing. Um, Do you want to know something weird? What? Um, so until very recently when like my friends started having kids uh, and stuff like that, I, I didn't realize that Legoland was real. I thought it was just like, like, you know how in every TV show and movie, the brand of chips they're eating is let's potato chips. And it's like, it only really exists for like TV prop things. I kind of thought Legoland was that where like, they didn't want to like use disney or whatever like i didn't realize legoland was a real thing yeah no it's a real thing now there are different iterations of legoland like there's disneyland and disney world and and one of them is much bigger than the other the one in florida is much much bigger i think that's world land is in california so we went to the legoland in in vaughn um near the bass pro shops which was uh, we also we got to walk around there and look at some crossbows i didn't know there was one of those in vaughn either really Oh, I think that was the first one. I feel like that was the first one in this country. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the whole street is named after it. It's called like Bass Pro Mills Road or something. And yeah, they have the giant fish tank and lots of crossbows. But you have a fish tank? Have you never been in it? Have you never been to a a Bass Pro Shop? I don't feel like I'm giving away free ads here. I don't own any camo. Yeah, well, neither do I. Listen, I'm I'm the probably the last person that would ever purchase something. In- I went hunting one time, and I didn't know I was going hunting. I was invited to a cottage for the weekend, and it was like, oh, by the way, we're getting up at five tomorrow. Uh, to How hunt. did that go? I did not. I just like sat there. Like <laughs> I, I, I can enjoy some broy masculine thing. Like big mixed martial arts fan. Yeah, I like boxing. I'll have a couple beers and fight a friend or something like that but like uh, animal i don't know and i'm not like vegetarian or anything i just don't want to do it myself oh yeah i'm with you on it's weird um so you're a conscientious uh, objector yeah yeah it just like i think it also just like didn't sit well with me that like i didn't know ahead of time it was just like oh yeah by the way yeah part of the cottage weekend is i would say not that i'm a hunter or have ever hunted in my entire life i have hunters in my family now my 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 wife's family. We're uh, a gatherer family. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but if I was ever to organize a hunting trip or be part of a hunting trip, I would say that the least successful hunting trip would be under the column of surprise hunting trip. That seems yeah. like a bad. You don't want to do oh, I didn't even get to go to whatever shop to get my crossbow sharpened yeah. or whatever you do with a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Oiled, I guess. Yeah, sure. 
Um, so yeah, that was that was my break. Um, everybody's good and, and well now. Um, How was Legoland? It was. You know what? It's funny that you ask because uh, my wife asked me if it was everything. I expected it to be, and I said it was everything I expected and more, and we were sitting on a bench, and some guy overheard us, and he's like, my wife just asked me the exact same question, and I answered in the exact same way. And I was like, wow, where did you come from? Because we came all the way from Burlington to Vaughn to go to Legoland. He's like, Kalamazoo, Michigan. So apparently, There's not one closer to? <laughs> apparently not. Jeez. And I was like, yeah, birthplace of Derek Jeter. And then we bonded briefly. He was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan? Yeah, that's correct. Man. Or at least raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. All right. Well, Happy New Year. You they look must great. Have small baseball diamonds there. So nice <laughs> range was limited. I don't know. I was trying to come up with a limited range joke. Uh, I've for reasons we might talk about in the six o'clock hour. I have been thinking a lot about certain infielders and who might be good at second base oh, or dude. third base if they have to move off of shortstop. Uh, if their ankles aren't held together with silly string, I don't know. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's a good way to, to tease that conversation, which is coming up after six o'clock. Again, Toronto Maple Leafs pregame Leafs and St. Louis blues coming your way at the uh, bottom of the six o'clock hour. But today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota, your local Toyota store since 1969, Come for the history, stay for the future. Dufferin North of Steels is really only one place to start, and it's with the sports world still waiting on tenter hooks for information on the health of Bills defensive back Damar Hamlin. Uh, it was a shocking, shocking night to be watching sports on television, a game that everybody was really anticipating, excited for between the Bills and Bengals, huge playoff implications, and, of course, all that going to the back burner. As he collapses on the field, is given CPR, uh, resuscitated on the field of an NFL game, eventually taken away by ambulance and is currently still in a Cincinnati hospital. Uh, it's an, unlike anything anybody's ever seen, really, in, in their sporting lives. I, I mean, there's, you know, in 1971, someone died on the field of play in an NFL game, but that's that's not modern times. I, I've, I've seen stoppages. I've seen horrific injuries we'd see you know buffalo bills players be paralyzed on the field of play but it wasn't like what we saw yesterday how did you experience i know there was a lot going on including a raptors game at the time and then yeah a a team canada world juniors game yeah so the only thing i can really compare to and like i was watching the paul george thing but not in person like the paul george thing live when uh, he snapped his leg playing for USA basketball and like on the station that time and having to write about that at the time because I was working at a news place at that point um so it a little bit like that and but honestly like the only thing the only time I ever remember feeling something like that around sports is when I was in San Antonio a few years ago uh for a Raptors Spurs game the day that Kobe Bryant passed away right and going through the process of like dealing with your own emotions with it, seeing the players dealing with their emotions, the logistical stuff, which obviously is not like that, whether the game gets played, when it gets made up, all that stuff is not that important, but it is stuff that needs to be figured out immediately. And if you are covering the game or last night, if you're the NFL or ESPN or whoever trying to make those decisions, like those are real things. Um, So I was locked into the Raptors game. When the Raptors game ended, I switched channels over. I was not doing a double screen thing uh in part because i had and again nobody cares about this but like in our 590 league our old pal vic Mm -hmm. he and i are in the finals 
in fantasy and there were implications in that game. And I was like, oh, don't look until like later. I don't want to be refreshed. So I turn it over and the game's in delay. And then I open up Twitter and I, I hadn't really been on Twitter in the second half of the Raptors game because it was very, very close. Um, and then kind of try to catch up on what happens. And then I didn't really like, obviously it was sad and I was trying to get as much information as possible. But at that point, it's just so much speculation anyway. Um, so once it was announced that the game was suspended, I kind of disengaged from it. And part of that is like, I've had to deal with some, not that serious, but some medical related stuff with family and things like that in the last little while. And I just like, didn't have the capacity to sit there with that as well beyond being very sad and scared for him. Um, you know, this morning when I came to it and read some of the updates, the update from the bills first thing in the morning, the update from the family uh, early this afternoon. And, you know, if there was one thing that made you feel a little better, the unbelievable outpouring of support from a, you know, uh, a messaging, but even bigger, like his, toy drive foundation it's almost and four like million that. bucks it might be four million bucks now it was i checked it a half hour ago and, and this was a, a charity that he and like the, the 2500 bucks was the goal <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a lot of toys yeah and it's great to see like people come together like that and you know obviously you don't want to have an impetus like that but if you're searching for tiny silver linings with this so um i don't know i don't have anything remarkably insightful to say about it i think we're all just sitting here hoping for better news ahead for DeMar Hamlin and his family. Um, I think how the family has handled it with their statements. And um, I don't know, there's a lot of, I guess, grace under pressure there or, or in through very tough adversity. And um, that family seems very strong and, and have stayed together and appreciated the support and stuff and kept a, a positivity and an optimism that if you believe in the ability of, you know, not affecting the game, but, you know, putting good energy out there and things like that and, and trying to let someone know however you can, even if it's not tangible, that they're supported. I think everyone's done as good a job of that as you can hope. Um, and now we just wait for better news. Yeah, we do. And and we're going to talk to Peter King in the bottom half of this hour to, to get his uh, perspective on the tragic and horrific events of yesterday. I can just tell you how I experienced it. Yeah, like I said, I was sitting down for an, an awesome night of, of sports, viewing right raptors maybe trying to build off the momentum of the, that sun's <laughs> nope. victory uh and we'll get to that later on as well and team canada in uh in an elimination game at the world juniors with Connor bedard one on, of the greatest goals i've ever seen which happened like i don't know five minutes after after the the stoppage in play in cincinnati it was totally surreal add to that that my kids are staying up later because, you know, they got no school and it's hard for... They're not back to school this week? No. No, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was always this way, but two weeks off for Christmas break. That's the way they do things now. And then for them, we're, we're going away next week. So three weeks off. Wow. Yeah, they're going to forget how to He's read and write. spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he, he, like, sidles up next to me and we're experiencing this together and he's seven years old and all I'm trying to do is get information, which it turns out, like... When Twitter first started, I kind of thought this would be the type of incident that it would be perfect for, you you know, people on the ground in real time giving information. Instead, it was a cesspool, man. It was it was hard for me to continue to go back there and read some of the takes and the back and forth and the takes on the takes and the quote tweets and yada, yada, yada. But I found a couple of, of sources of information um, that were that were uh, pretty uh, reliable, so I was able to, to to get some updates there, although there weren't many to be had, and there still hasn't been. 
No, at last update, he's still in a still in critical condition and intubated and in a medically induced coma, which, as I understand it from reading from some doctors and things like that, is about um, you know trying to promote brain healing by shutting down the needs for the rest of the body, kind of, and lowering that you know kind of energy need and caloric need. And there are instances and precedent of full brain function coming back after an instance like this and obviously there are differing severities you know chris pronger has spoken out about his experience with a very similar thing and he returned to play um i believe there have been some like lesser baseball instances with like a comebacker to the chest and stuff um but yeah there's there's i mean first of all that they're not going to release a ton of information anyway to understand the severity and a minute by minute update or anything so we're and, left and with they're under no obligation to do so no um and like the bills and the family have been fairly like forthcoming there have been like semi-regular updates um and they don't owe that but i think they know like the bills i'm sure know that they have a lot of people thinking about him and, and sending good wishes and stuff so yeah i mean that's that's where we're at is just wait and um you know it could I, I'm not a doctor, but the way it was explained to me is that this could be an update coming sooner. This could be a couple days, and you don't really know until you know. Yeah, we don't, and and we don't know what the logistical, you know, ramifications of a suspended or perhaps mm-hmm. canceled game is. Well, we do know it's secondary. not taking place this week. That mm-hmm. is official now. Yeah, the NFL said it won't be made up this week. So, I, I guess like reading the NFL statement, I wonder if they're waiting to see if like like fingers crossed and again it's not really important but you do have to figure out the logistical element of this the fingers crossed maybe it doesn't matter yeah you know whatever happens in week 18 locks in the seedings enough that you don't have to make up that game i haven't gone through all the scenarios it seems pretty dicey with both divisions and the top seed yeah i think on the line the only way that could happen i guess is if the chiefs lose and then the bills win as far as top seed and and the bye in the afc is concerned well the bills could yeah the bills could lose and the chiefs win but that locks the chiefs into number one Mm -hmm. and then if the ravens were to lose then the Bengals get locked into the top of the north and there might be some like seeding within the two three four or five six seven i haven't again i haven't gone through it all in all the matchups and everything um but i i wonder if the league is you know waiting to make a decision on that until they have to or don't have to. well and there's a, an optical component to this as well but and beyond optical you know and a compassionate element of this yeah. like like when is the right time to to to, to you know, if there is a plan enacted, if there are contingencies enacted, if there are things that have been thought of and, you know, they're already like there's already a plan in place, maybe like w- yeah. when is the correct time to, to let people know about that? Yeah. And like we know that as of right now, the two teams are scheduled to play this weekend as scheduled. Yeah. And if there's a makeup for this, it would be after that fact. So I guess these teams, you know, today's what Tuesday was a Monday night game. So these teams would normally return to practice tomorrow mm. and they're gonna have to do that like i'd imagine it's pretty optional for a couple days here at least and like i don't know i'm not in those rooms or anything like that and i'm sure there's an element of like guys will want to be together and, and you know there's always the possibility of that like oh do it for damar kind of thing but i i just i really really hope that if there are individuals on either team or around the league who can't get up for that Hell on yeah. saturday or sunday that there is space for that and compassion for that because i i 
can't possibly imagine the feeling of being that guy's teammate or his friend or playing the same position as him or being on the Bengals, being T. Higgins in that spot. No kidding. Where, like, you didn't do anything that you haven't done a hundred times, but, like, you were still in that spot and Honestly, saw that. Honestly, just and, bearing witness to what, you know, yeah. we only saw the, the, the reaction to a person being revived mm-hmm. on a football field. We only saw the reaction because the players were huddled around. Mm-hmm. Mar Hamlin. So yeah. yeah, I mean, if you if if you need more than a week to recover from that image, I, no one would blame and, anybody who opted out of next look, weekend's games. These are playoff teams and things like that, and I'm sure there will be the odd fan that's like, "Will you make whatever million dollars?" Like, this is a lot bigger than that. This is their teammate and their brother and someone who is like someone's son and a huge part of their like the Buffalo community and the Pittsburgh community and things like that. Like, I don't. I just hope there's a, a level of space and compassion for um, players around the league over these next couple of days. Yeah, heavy way to start the show, but there's really only one place to start it because it is, it's the thing everybody's thinking about today. And, yeah, again, our thoughts are, are with DeMar Hamlin. We will uh, talk to Peter King a little bit more about this story at the bottom of the hour. That was today's top story brought to you by Thornhill Toyota. I mentioned that it was, I mean, there was so much going on at the time in the sports world that I was flipping back and forth. I ha- and, and we'll talk about Connor Bedard in just a second. Um, the Raptors won a game against a Suns team that stinks right now anyway. So like, yeah, that, 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 that win never really looked all that great. I mean, yeah. Uh, again, Suns stink right now. Where is DeAndre Aiden? He's on the box score in these games and I haven't seen him for a few. Dude, you, you would have figured that that would have been a game he could have feasted on. If it, it, like, how do you not come into that game? And I know this was two games ago now, so it's long in the past after the Pacers game. But if you are Aiton and you look at Avika Zubats coming in and absolutely feasting against the Raptors, Stephen Adams coming in and like without exaggeration, like one-handed rebounds as he just holds off multiple Raptors at a time. How do you not come in? And be like, well, there's been criticism about my game and my contract. Like, this is a team I just watched other centers in my conference go to work against. And then you just come out and invisible. Yeah, totally invisible. And then he followed up being even more invisible against the Knicks. I know invisible is binary. So you can't, like, be more (laughs) invisible. If you're invisible, you're invisible. But he was more invisible. Uh, yeah, scoring 83 points in an NBA game is, is not many, but it's actually quite a few when you consider they scored, what, 30 in the first half? I was going to say, the Raptors have given that up in a half almost yeah. this year. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not a lot of points anymore. It's the highest offensive environment per possession we've ever had right yeah. now. Yeah, it is. And you know what? We'll get to that maybe a little bit later on because uh, Donovan Mitchell scored a lot of points. Oh. Uh, but anyways, back to the Raptors. They stink, yeah. and they're fully healthy. So, so th- I think... You know, not that we needed more evidence, but boy, it's it's just it's hard to look away now from what's happening with this team. There are no more excuses. This team stinks, and and it's it's unlikely. Even I'll go as far as to say, you don't want anything that happens between now and the trade deadline, as far as wins are concerned, is fool's gold, and you don't want them. You don't want them. I don't. I'm I, if you're a Raptors fan, you should be rooting for losses. Here's the thing: there are 19 games between now and the deadline. <laughs> In a vacuum, if the team went 12 and 7 over any 19 game stretch, you'd be pretty happy with that. 12 and 7 over these next 19 games gets the Raptors back to 500. Yeah. It's not enough, and it's probably too late to, like, I, I, it's hard to imagine a scenario where things start clicking quickly enough and with enough runway that um, by the trade deadline, you're like, yes, this team is worth adding to and worth 
cashing in certain pieces to improve right now. It's just really, really hard to see that. And like, yeah, they're not, I don't know, they're as healthy as they're going to be. Like Otto Porter doesn't sound like he's anywhere close to coming back. Nick Nurse said today there's no progress on his toe. Precious Achua had a minutes cap, Mm -hmm. sure, but like they only ran a five-man rotation anyway. Like the first night they had close to a full squad. The bench played 44 minutes total across five guys, and any time any one of them stepped on the floor, the Raptors started getting just rolled. So this is it. So um, that, that that's like a playoff rotation, right, with the Raptors rolled out there. Um, and you see, you see teams, I mean, the Raptors in particular, in 2019 had a very short playoff rotation, right? Like that's what you do. Uh, in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Yeah. You shorten your rotation. Not everybody gets to play, and your starters play huge, huge minutes. Usually over the course of 82 games, you have enough depth and your outlook is longer term that you don't have to do that. This team, one, was never going to win a championship this year. Like, I think Nick Nurse would probably, you know, have to begrudgingly accept that. And two, is now like a long shot to even make the plan. And I think Masai Ujiri would say explicitly, what he's seen, he doesn't want this team to make the plan. Play, in play for, in what? for what? So what the hell are they doing playing all the starters 40 minutes? They are closer to the fourth best lottery odds than they are to avoiding the play-in. Yeah, so um, the Raptors have 36 player games with 40-plus minutes this season. Mm-hmm. That's the most in the NBA. This is not a, a, a team that's, you know, battling for the top seed in the East and has a lot on the line during the regular season, especially now that this is continuing at this point when, when again, the, the focus should be the future. That, that seems like an... I, I I don't want to be Look, too, ex- too extreme no, here, but it seems Siakam, not good. Van Vliet and Ananobi are first, second, and seventh in minutes per game over the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. It just can't happen. And we're seeing the cost in terms of, I mean, maybe Pascal gets injured regardless. Um, OG has been banged up uh, a bunch of times. But these guys are also, they not only play a lot of minutes, like the Raptors play probably the most, well, when they're playing it effectively, probably the most difficult brand of basketball physically in the league. And I don't mean that in a banging sense. I mean, like, um, Oren Weisfeld, who's at Raptors Republic, I think he wrote this for for somewhere else, though, uh, last week, wrote about how for two years in a row now, Pascal Siakam not only has more minutes than anyone, but when we look into some of the sport view data in terms of, like, miles run and, like, other... I used to do this for DeMar all the time. Not only miles run, but if we use free throw attempts as a proxy for, like, how often you're getting hit or, or guys are playing physical with you or whatever... Um, and, a, and a couple of like usage and how often you have the ball, like Pascal Siakam's playing some of the hardest minutes in the NBA. When we account for size, Fred Van Vliet is probably playing the hardest minutes in the NBA, given like role and size and how many minutes he's playing. Uh, and then, oh yeah, OG is seventh and Scotty Barnes isn't far off either. With Scotty Barnes, I at least get it because he's your upside piece, right? Like he's going to determine what the ceiling is in the future. And he's played really well lately. Um, but yeah, there's no excuse for like one. This is always the issue I've had with it. It's like in any individual game, I understand it's a close game. Yeah. You look down the bench, Malachi Flynn's had a poor game. You don't want to turn to him. Dad Young hasn't really made an impact. You don't want to turn to him. Precious Achua has met his minutes cap. You don't want to turn to him. So you ride with the starters a couple extra minutes. You can always understand it on a one-off because you're in that. It's a close game. You want to win it. But when it's a four-season pattern now, and these guys are at the top of the minutes leaderboard every single year. And there are injuries that follow from that. And then there is a long-term cost of if you are playing these guys that many minutes, 
that means the younger guys, the bench guys, who are supposed to eventually develop into the next wave of Boucher, Siakam, mm. Van Vliet, whatever, and no one's going to develop into Siakam, but you got to get rotation. You got to build rotation guys with your development system. None of those guys are getting minutes. And like we saw Malachi Flynn be in the rotation the last, I don't know, six, seven games. And it's like, he's getting a little bit better game by game. It's like, oh yeah, he, he has to play through some mistakes. Now, last night, huge step backwards for him. So maybe it's never going to be linear with that stuff, but there is a long-term cost, not only in terms of the guys who are playing these big minutes, but you're never going to have someone you turn down the bench and have faith in if those guys never get the chances. And it's there is a little bit of chicken or egg to that of For like, sure. how do you give a guy a chance who hasn't earned it and build but how, that trust? But, but, but how about when like the wins don't matter, right? Yeah. And I know the coach and that they would never admit it as much, but you know, sure. like, come on, we can all see it here, right? Like, I, I know you're supposed to believe that you can win a championship every single, even Nick Nurse today probably does think that this team, you know, if he pushes the right buttons, by which I mean plays everybody 44 minutes, that they, they can finish with 45 wins and and upset somebody in a in a playing round. And 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 what a successful season that is. But we can all, I mean, it's almost like you know you need coaches to save the players from themselves. You, you need the the president, if not the general manager, to save the head coach from himself right now, man. Like because this is not only not sustainable. Um, it's not good for the future development of, of pieces that might be long-term fits. And I'm not saying Malachi is or isn't, but yeah, I, I don't know if we necessarily know yet. Yeah. And th- there's another component of this, which is a conversation for another day. And it's that, um, what was a huge staple of this front office in this, um, era of this team was consistently identifying and developing undervalued talent so that when you had to move on from a guy, the next guy was was up or you had a guy got too expensive, the next guy was ready, and it's been a bit since they hit on one of those guys. Yeah, it has. All right. Uh, maybe we'll get back into the Raptors later. We'll definitely get into Connor Bedard and the Leafs, of course, who have the St. Louis Blues at home tonight uh, right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan uh, pregame starting at 630. But coming up next, we will talk to Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America's The Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, and Blake Murphy. And again, the sports world, I mean, the world at large, this is a story that's bigger than sports now, as it's one of the lead news items. Uh, everybody still thinking about DeMar Hamlin and, and hoping for the best in his recoveries. He remains in critical condition in a Cincinnati hospital. Let's talk to uh, Peter King of NBC Sports and Football Morning in America. Happy New Year, Peter. Hey, Happy New Year to you guys, too. Um, so yeah, I, I, there's only one place to go here with you, Peter. Um, what were you thinking when you watched the, the events happen yesterday? Uh, basically that, uh, you know, I had never seen anything as serious as this on a field. You see the, the players anguished. You see a couple of shots with the medical personnel being rushed, uh, you know, looking like they were in very, very urgent uh, form. And so I just thought it looked just a little bit different than someone who had torn his ACL or do that, done that. And, and look, 
in real time, I didn't see him fall like that. I wasn't really looking at it. I just saw him on the ground. And then on the replay, you saw it, you saw him falling and it was just, it was heart wrenching uh, because clearly he was uh, just totally out of it by the time he, he fell to the ground. And luckily the NFL uh, has an awful lot of people, medical people at every game to uh, handle an emergency situation like that. Yeah. And um, everybody seemed to uh, do their job in the, the most timely fashion. And he was given CPR. He was resuscitated on the field. Yeah. And I mean, that was terrifying how long that lasted. There was almost 20 minutes before he was eventually taken away um, by ambulance. And then there was that moment where all of us are wondering what's going to happen. Like, are they, are they possibly going to restart this game? And then of course the rumor that they were, the, the teams were given five minutes to warm up and restart. And then Stefan Diggs is trying to, rally his teammates on the sideline after like yeah. minutes prior being in absolute tears. Uh, uh, that, that was shocking. Peter, how do you think that the league handled um, what transpired yesterday with their eventual decision to postpone the game? I wish I knew everything that transpired. It's clear that John Perry of ESPN passed along information he got from somebody in the NFL that there was going to be a period where players would be allowed to warm up and then the game would continue. And, and look, I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people and there are right now making a huge deal about that. But I, I think that in a, in a situation like they had that normally anytime a guy is taken off the field, even in an ambulance, the game continues. So because the game was, had been, uh, delayed for whatever it was, 15 minutes, I'm sure that something, well, I shouldn't say this. I don't know what happened. I know that, you know, ESPN obviously has someone like John Perry who is in touch with people at the league office. He didn't make it up. And I'm sure that somebody, and again, I, I said that word again, those words again, I'm sure. My 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 guess is that Somebody from the NFL treated this just like they would for any delay of any game. Okay, as soon as the uh, player is taken off the field, we're going to continue the game and we'll give players five minutes to warm up. And so I don't think I'm sure that whoever said that, assuming someone did say that, uh, just didn't know the severity of the situation. Well, and beyond that, Peter, um, we've seen some pretty horrific injuries on football fields and and nothing, again, like what we saw yesterday where a man had to be revived on the field to play and was, you know, right. had cardiac arrest, so nothing like that. But we've seen, you know, uh, players get paralyzed, have uh, the rest yeah. of their lives altered, and then play resume. There, there is an element of football players that are, program to compartmentalize even something maybe as severe as what we saw yesterday that's like almost in their dna yeah but i think once the once it was seen exactly what happened i just don't think there was any way that players from both teams were going to agree to go back and play in this game so the right decision was made even though it probably took too long to make it so what are the next steps from here with regards to 
how the players are are doing through all of this because we know you know it's the NFL the the games are still expected to take place this weekend but if you're in that Bills locker room or, or that organization or, or the Bengals or anywhere around the league really um, it, does the league have something in place the teams have something in place to you know kind of cancel players through this and, and make sure those who are up for playing this weekend are, are in the right state to do so. Well, we're going to see. I mean, the NFL sent out a statement. Roger Goodell sent out a statement this afternoon to all 32 NFL teams, and he gave uh, each team the information and the uh, uh, the uh, basically the information about a uh, mental health counselor, and told teams essentially that you need to. Uh, you need to, if anybody wants to avail themselves of this service, um, you know, in the eyes of the NFL, you can do such a thing. And so I think, uh, you know, what, what the NFL has advised each team is to, you know, make sure that your mental health uh, associates associated with each team uh, make it clear to players that if they need to talk in the next few days, they can. Well, what about a, a step further? What, what about a player deciding not to play on Sunday? I mean, is... is a good question. Yeah, yeah. What, what happens in I, that instance? I, I don't know. I, I don't... I'd just be guessing. Um, and I'm sure it's possible that some player will say, uh, I know DeMar Hamlin, I just can't do this. I'm really questioning my future as a football player, and I know I can't play this week. My gut feeling is a team would say we understand yeah. um, and would uh, let them skip the game. That's, that's absolutely my gut feeling, but I don't, that, that's just a guess. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the, the health of DeMar Hamlin is number one priority for everybody. Everybody understands this, but event like those games are scheduled. The Bills are scheduled to yeah. play on the weekend, as are the Cincinnati Bengals. And eventually somebody is going to have to come up with a solution to the game that will not resume and it will not resume this week. Like when are, do you imagine those conversations are already happening? Has a decision already been they're made? Happening now, they're happening now, but it's, I'm sure they're happening now, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back two and a half years now to the time when the COVID crisis was roiling the league. And I remember specifically, I wrote about this at the time, that uh, the NFL basically made it very clear to me, uh, you know, during, uh, before and during the 2020 NFL season, that we're going to get through this season, but it's, it's quite possible that not every team is going to play 16 games. That was the last year of the 16-game regular season schedule. And the NFL basically said that we are going to get through this season, but uh, if there might be some teams that play 12 games, some that play 14, whatever, and we're just going to do the best we can. And I think that basically is the first thing I thought of when thinking about what is the NFL going to do? Because mentally they've already figured out, that uh, look, two years ago, we were okay with canceling some games if we had to. We didn't want to, and it turns out that they didn't have to. But this year, 
I mean, this just, I know there's been no decision made, so I don't know what is going to happen, but I will just say that I'd be very surprised if they played this game ever. Uh, it just, it just doesn't fit. It, it, how, how can you do it? I just don't think in week 18 of a season, you can ask two teams to cram this game in before the playoffs start. Is it, and, and the alternative is, pushing the playoffs back a week. I'm not saying that's impossible, but would you want to do that to play one game uh, next weekend? I mean, uh, in whatever, a week and a half, I, it just, I, this is just my guess. And it is an absolute guess. I have nobody from the NFL whispering to me, but my guess is that the Bengals and the bills will each play 16 games. I think that 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 makes the most sense to me, Peter, to hear you lay it out like that. Uh, The schedule changes and and condensing. Like, I I don't think pushing the playoffs back is like, I guess, unless you want to lose that week off before the Super Bowl, um, you know, it doesn't seem... That's the only way, in my opinion, that's the only way they could do it. And I know they like the Super Bowl to be a big two-week thing and make sure everyone's healthy. And I I think there would be, you know, if you're Buffalo and Cincinnati, like a a physical risk and an injury risk to playing an extra game kind of right at the end of your season right. there. Um, so Peter, I, I think you're right that that that's the most logical thing um, in terms of how I, again, I know this is not a super important thing, but the logistics will have to be figured out from a standings and seating perspective. It's just then play it where it lies, right? If a team ends up half a game up, half a game back, that's just the what problem, we got to deal with. The problem here. is going to here. The problem is going to be that, if the Buffalo Bills beat New England and the uh, and Kansas City beats Las Vegas, Kansas City ends up fourteen and three, and the Bills end up thirteen and three, and the Bills will have won at Kansas City. Yeah, the Bills will will have the clear tiebreaker edge, but they will have played one less game because of the uh, the Hamlin situation. And so I, I don't know what Roger Goodell will do. I don't know what the NFL will do. But I do think that it makes some sense to think about alternatives for if, if, if what I just laid out, if the Bills at 13-3 and three, but having beaten Kansas City, um, might the NFL consider is something there. I, and I don't even know what. I don't. I'm not suggesting a coin flip or any, I, I just don't know. But the way I look at this is nobody's going to be happy. If it, if it comes down to that, nobody's going to be happy with the result. No, Uh, there's, or I should say there's going to be a lot of people unhappy with the result. And I think if everyone who is saying the only thing that really matters is the health uh, of DeMar Hamlin then let's let's live by that. If you're going to say that, then let's live by that. And let's understand that if you really think the only thing that matters is that, obviously something a little bit unfair could well happen no. uh, in, in the seeding and in the playoffs. And everybody's just got to swallow it and say, hey, life goes on. There's more important things to worry about. No, that's well said. It's a great point. Uh, Peter, we know you got to run, but uh, thanks so much for this. Hey, I appreciate it, guys, and and let's all hope for the best for Demar Hamlin. Hundred percent. Thanks, Peter. Uh, 
Peter King, NBC Sports, Football Morning in America. Yeah, obviously thoughts foremost with DeMar Hamlin. And I think that's a great point about, hey, put your money where your mouth is. If uh, Bills fans, yeah, you, you care most about DeMar Hamlin, sorry. It sucks that, that you don't get a, a bye in the first round of the playoffs and maybe you don't win a Super Bowl as a result of it, but it's either that or some other thing that's unfair. I mean, the, the, the thing that I came up with that satisfies most parties and still makes people upset, obviously, but I think it makes the fewest people upset is if you just hand both teams wins, like not ties, right? And not just play 16 games, you hand the Buffalo Yeah, a tie Bills. is the same thing as playing 16 same. games. It's the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, you just hand the Bills a tie, which does not guarantee them the number one seed in the AFC. They still have to go out and beat the Dolphins or hope that the Chiefs lose on that Saturday night to the Raiders. And it, um, it would, however, clinch the division for the, the Bengals. Bengals. Yeah. But yeah, it's not fair. But there is no solution short of playing the game that is close to fair. No, once once the team flew back to Buffalo, which obviously they they should have once that game was, you know, like do what you, you have to do to take care of your team. Like it became a what is the least objectionable of a bunch of unfortunate alternatives. And my like we're talking about them because the logistics do need to be figured out and there will be answers to these questions and externalities to them. And, but the underlying thing is, who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like you said, it's a lot bigger than that. And I know, I don't know. And the way you guys frame the kind of put your money where your mouth is from a, like, fan perspective of, like, don't complain about it or whatever. It's, uh, it's also a, an NFL thing, right? Like, the NFL, none of us are naive to the fact that the NFL is ruled by money as most things are mm-hmm. and that they do not have the best history of putting player health and players first in general. And yeah, I mean, if they make these guys play that game again, and then after a traumatic on-field incident, you're then telling these playoff teams like, yeah, hey, you're going to play an extra game and you're going to play a condensed schedule for the playoffs. And because we can't lose the TV revenue or we can't have, we can't come up with a solution for the the seating. Like again, the least objectionable of a lot of bad alternatives, but I don't know if anyone gets too riled up about it. I hope I think you're just kind of tell it on yourself that what is actually most important to you is not what you're saying is most important to you. Correct. Uh, and yeah, yeah, we're talking about fan perspective. I, I, I assume everybody in that building at One Bills Drive, um, yeah, they'll take whatever is coming. Other, like, there, I think there is one wrong move though, and it is. I mean, you mentioned it. Playing the game, I think, yeah. is the wrong move. There's anything else is like. I don't know, there's there's no ab, absolute fairness to it. The other problem is the people making the decisions on this, I don't have a ton of faith in, which is uh, Roger Goodell and the National Football League. Um, I, I don't think... And, and how do they message this? Like, when does this... When does this... Like, we're having this conversation now. Uh, I know many people are having this conversation now, and we're doing two things at once because we are still thinking about DeMar Hamlin, and that is the number one story. There hasn't been an update on that story, but this is, you know, we're going into a week where the Bills are going to be practicing tomorrow. They're going to do, I assume, a media availability leading up to their divisional game, which is huge for for both teams and the Dolphins and Bills, which is happening. Like, that is happening. Mm-hmm. There's there's no stopping that. And, you know, what... what this is unprecedented territory. It's not. There's no playbook to go from here. But it is a great point by Peter that 
We lived in a world not too long ago where the idea of not playing an entire schedule, we all just, yeah, we agreed that that was imperfect and would be weird, but if we had to do it, we would do it. Right, and everyone accepted it then, and the difference now is that, you know, that wasn't, like, it wasn't disclosed ahead of time. Yeah. And now, you know, now it's here. And, uh, yeah, again, there's not a good answer, but... I, I can't bring myself to be too fired up about any of the alternatives uh, right now. By the way, we're starting to see around the sports world now people showing up to uh, their games for tonight. A lot of, um, like the Sabres showed up in, in shirts. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot going out there for, Dude, for there's, DeMar. Dude, there, there's so much in in this this era, in this world, that can make you cynical and depressed, right? Yeah. Like, honestly. And um, if there are like little glimmers, little little pieces of 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 great humanity that exist, like let's try and amplify those, um, or at least you know pay attention to them. And I I, I do think again, it, and it was uh, alerted to me that it's almost five million dollars that Demar Hamlin's charity is up to now. Uh, Bills fans have a great history of doing this. Remember, it was like Andy Dalton. What happened at the end of uh, one of the regular seasons to get the Bills into the playoffs? Were they 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 lost to your Jaguars? <laughs> uh, they were donating to charities at the end of that season. Um, there's there's a there is a not a silver lining. There is at least some optimism surrounding this story that people, I think, and we'll see in the coming days when this decision is made. I think people, like Peter put it are going to, yes, realize that the health of the player is the only thing that matters, and the fallout when it comes to sports is relevant in a sporting sense, but irrelevant in a bigger picture human sense, and people will get over that. Because I hope, because if you don't, you'll be kind of shunned from society. Like, if, if you're somebody that wants to complain about whatever happens to the Buffalo Bills or the Cincinnati Bengals in the coming days in regards to their playoff seating or buy or non-buy, if you're a person that raises your hand or, God forbid, tweets something out about how unfair it is, yeah, you're shining a spotlight on yourself. Yeah, yeah, let's not even go down that path of uh, what that would look like because, yeah, you're gonna there are going to be people like that. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way around it. But, yeah, again, you're kind of revealing what is important to you and more importantly what isn't important to you and yeah i mean be that kind of person i guess but it's not like again we're talking about seeding in the playoffs like it's it's a big deal and there's lots of money and like i was you know talking so uh a friend of mine jared dubin who does stuff for 538 he was posting these odds yesterday um of like what the play the super bowl odds would look like with a Bills win and with a Bengals win. And it was this massive, massive, like a 19% swing. The Bills would go from 11% odds of the Super Bowl if they lost to 30% odds if they won. That is about as high leverage as a game gets. It doesn't matter. No. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that was a standalone game. It was a Monday night game. Mm-hmm. For in, in 19% this- swing in Super Bowl odds from one game. Yeah. The Chiefs would have had 11% swing in odds without even playing in that game. Yeah, that's insane. And that that decision is likely to be made without, you know, football being involved. It's, yeah. yeah. Certainly, I mean, without that part, the DeMar Hamlin incident is going to be how we remember this mm-hmm. NFL season. But, yeah, it's it's going to be 
ahead of whatever happens in the coming months as, as far as the NFL playoffs. It's all we're going to think about when it comes to looking back on this season. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully that whatever, whenever we get to the playoffs, um, or sooner than that, Hamlin's in a, obviously not on the field, but in a, in a position to be a part of the community around it or, you know. Do, and this is another part of this. Like it, in the, the brief um, under, or the, the little understanding I have about what DeMar Hamlin is going through right now, like a quick resolution or at least an idea of the, the, the outcome of, of what he's going through is not imminent. Like it's like right. it might be weeks. Like we might not find out b- before the Lombardi trophy is, is handed out. Um, right. Where, how DeMar Hamlin how is the rest of his life is, is going to go? So, yeah, the idea that, you know, we're all waiting to find out in the coming days and then we'll get a resolution or there'll be more information. I mean, that's what I, I was looking for yesterday. That's why I kept refreshing Twitter. I was like, well, this is, we're going to have some news in the moment. There, I, there was at one point Coley Harvey, um, who is an ESPN reporter, was outside of the hospital and he was assured that we're going to receive a statement from the hospital overnight. And there was none coming. You know why there's none coming? Because there's nothing to tell you. Like these, mm-hmm. what what Demar Hamlin is going through is extremely dangerous, obviously. But yeah, um, the outcome is is very much up in the air right now, and we might not find out for weeks, if not months. So again, fingers crossed. It's um, it's put a, a pall on the entire day, uh, sports wise. But we'll endeavor to to get back into the sports when we come back, as the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are back at home and uh, host the Blues in their first game in 2023. It's on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We have the pregame show starting at 6.30 today. Um, we'll get you set for that game. Azelia Samsonov back in net. And he's not been good recently. In fact, Maple Leafs goaltending has not been what it was the first couple of months of the season. We'll talk about that. Plenty more as Rasmus Sandin also back for the Leafs as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. We've gone too long without talking about Connor Bedard. Didn't get to it in the first segment, but uh, he's quite good. He's a little, little child, 17. He doesn't know a world in which the Boston Red Sox had a World Series curse. He was born in 2005. Hmm. It's, it's, yeah, he's a young fella. Um, and uh, I remember a time not too long ago that, you know, I, I, John Morosi would, would come on this radio station and talk about how it's no slam dunk that Connor Bedard is the first overall selection in the upcoming NHL draft. Well, we should talk to Morosi, even though there's not a ton of Major League Baseball news this week. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. We got we to talk to him tomorrow, right? Yeah, Canada, USA. Well, or at least here's on... the issue. Mm, the game takes place during our show. Well, I don't know starts, that John yeah. will be willing to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was texting him on the weekend about the game. Oh, yeah? 
And and what did he say? Uh, he was talking smack. He was using no, many expletives towards no, you. No, I thought I thought he would be talking smack, and he said uh, he thinks the U.S. has a chance, but Bedard's even better than he thought. Okay, right, yeah. with yeah. an American flag and a Canadian flag emoji. Wait, <laughs> why would you do both? All Not right. me. No, I know. Why would he do both? Well, right. because he's saying he thinks the U.S. has a chance, but he's... All right, yeah, just respecting. But yeah. All right, yeah. All right. Good. How That's, could you not after that goal? Yeah. Although that text exchange was before that goal, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Connor Bedard uh, with the second goal of the game comes in overtime, uh, which th- they played t- 10 minutes of three on three. It wasn't all three on three because Canada started the overtime period with a power play. And I mean, and we nearly see- ended it instantly. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did. Um, but then we wouldn't have had the indelible moment of Connor Bedard's tournament although we can't say that for sure because we got a semifinals against the united states and then maybe a finals for the canada's best ever individual performance at a world junior hockey championships and best ever couple of appearances i mean he set all the team canada scoring marks when it comes to goals uh assists points and he could tie the single tournament goals record with a couple of more he's sitting on eight He's uh, really freaking good. And I hate the way North American pro sports work and in, in that you know, the tanking stuff and lotteries. Mm. And, but, I mean, you'd be out of your mind not to do everything within your power not to try and get them. Uh, there's only one team that's totally screwed, and that's the Florida Panthers because the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> own their They're their in a very Denver pick. Broncos situation here. 100%. Um, I was just looking at the, the lottery odds, naturally. I'm sure a lot of people were. Um, with Connor Bedard's uh, incredible tournament, that's kind of saved the tournament for me, honestly. I, I can't say that I'm the, the the world's biggest world junior fan, but certainly with all that surrounded Hockey Canada over the last year or so, hard to get really amped up for this thing, but like Connor Bedard is, is can't miss television. You know what's wild? So in going through some of this, um, like going back and looking at, what the records are that Bedard is either assaulting or approaching. Mm-hmm. Peter Forsberg had 31 points in a tournament. Yeah, that's pretty good. And 42 points over two tournaments. Like, Bedard has a shot at reaching Forsberg if Canada... Well, I guess they would be in the he's, bronze anyway, so he Yeah, would. he's just fallen off the pace. He was on the pace to pass him if mm-hmm. he played all the way through the final before only a two-goal, yes. two-point performance So he'd yesterday. have to... He needs eight points to tie. Yeah. But even then, Forsberg would have him beat on a per-game basis. Okay. Um, yeah, Peter Forsberg was good, turns out. Also, he was like a goon in the tournament? 38 penalty minutes right. in 14 games? What are you doing, bud? Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty incredible. And then obviously Beret with 27 goals. Yeah. Uh, although he did it over three tournaments. Mm-hmm. So Bedard brushing his shoulder off at that. Uh, it's been it's been pretty cool um, to see. And yeah, in terms of driving interest in the tournament, certainly I, I think not that that many of the games were competitive in the round robin stage, but I do think that Canada losing to Czechia out of the gate drove my interest up a little bit because you're like, how many more Michigans does this team have in it? Because <laughs> um, one of the, it's not a drawback of the tournament. It is what it is, but you know, we're Canadian mm-hmm. and constantly being the favorite is like, not that dude interesting. Yeah, it's not. So when they show some vulnerability out of the gate and then, they show some vulnerability against Slovakia. Like, 
this is a team that does not, other than when Bedard is on the ice <laughs> and they're plus 25 or whatever they are, uh, it does not look like a team that is, you know, destined or for sure to win it all. So now, you know, there's a real interest level for me. I mean, there's always an interest level for me. But, like, so far in this tournament, the U.S. look like a better team. Mm. I don't know that Canada's the underdog tomorrow. I don't recall. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's at least more interesting now. And a finals rematch with Czechia would be yeah, all be, sorts of interesting. It sure would. Um, so, yeah, Canada, the United States tomorrow. Uh, I guess, You know what? What? This tournament has revealed to me. What's that? Is that as part of a aggressive teardown to try to get ping pong balls for the homegrown superstar, mm-hmm. Connor Bedard, the Vancouver Canucks should trade Bo Horvat to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I think that'd be really, really smart. No, I think if if there's a way to lose more, like there's there should be no decision making for that Vancouver Canucks team about their direction here headed towards the trade deadline. I the, only think- dis- the only question, honestly, is mm-hmm. if they want to lose the most games possible, shouldn't that front office just keep trying to win? Because they're doing a pretty <laughs> darn good job of not winning a lot of games as it is. As it stands, uh, the Vancouver Canucks with a 5% chance of landing the first overall pick, the Chicago Blackhawks, 25.5%. Bet- Bettman, do your work. Yeah. Vancouver <sighs> kid, Vancouver Canucks haven't had much going on. The last little while where they made the playoffs like once since I lived out there. Yeah. Once, once in a long time. Don't you think though, if he were doing his job, wouldn't he send him to the place that plays in this joke arena that is hoping to build a new arena in Tempe that he refuses to uh, let die as a hockey market in Arizona? Look, the draft is supposed to distribute talent to the least like, you know, not to go to marks here, but like to each by their need. That's what the idea of the mm. draft is. The bad teams uh, get the good players. However, I think there is a limit to that when you are just not even like helping yourself. Like you like that team is so aggressively bad and so aggressively poorly run. Mm-hmm. And I know that they just beat the Leafs again because, yeah. of course, they did, and they're not all the way at the bottom. No, they've overachieved um, because yeah. they're not the worst team in the history of the National yeah. Hockey League. And, like, Chicago doesn't deserve it. I, they don't. They had too recent a run. The mm. city of Chicago has had a lot of good sports teams. All right. So, yeah. Who's I'm the, saying Vancouver. The, the Vancouver, if we're using the deservo meter. The Vancouver Canucks deserve Connor Bedard, is what you're saying. The people of Vancouver, those fans, the very active Twitter fans of the Vancouver Canucks. The people who I heal all the time, yes, very good market, especially when that team's good. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I would love for that to come with, like, an ownership change and certainly a front office change and all that stuff. They have had not a lot to root for the last decade or so. And that's a market and a fan base that when they have a lot to root for is really fun. It's fun. Like they're one of those teams that the the Western conference is more fun when the Canucks are good. Yeah. No, especially at a time when the Oilers are good and who knows, maybe the, the flames keep being good. The Oilers got to get a a little more good though. They're they're like fringe playoff again. Yeah. Just worrisome because I want to see more 
playoff McDavid. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, they should have maybe addressed their goaltending uh, situation. With, Tell you this. If Edmonton, if Edmonton doesn't make the playoffs and the lottery balls fall their way once again, mm. I don't know. I'm There's something with Gary Bettman actually being from Edmonton or something like that. It can't. Yeah. Can't keep happening. Yeah, actually, the, the way the lottery odds work, you can only move up uh, 10 spots. So they would have to finish ah. uh, with, um, at uh, best, the 11th worst record in the National Hockey League. Anyways, that's the, the, <laughs> the thing that, you know, Vancouver Canucks fans, Montreal Canadiens fans, who if you add their odds to the Florida Panthers' odds because of the trade made for Ben Sherratt and the Canadians owning the Panthers' first-round selection, would actually have the second-best odds if uh, the season ended today. But those are, uh, I mean, those fans are certainly engaged in this year's uh, World Junior Hockey Championships. We're going to talk Leafs in just a second as we get you to Leafs pregame, Toronto Maple Leafs, St. Louis Blues from Scotiabank Arena here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, just a second. This developed while we were gone as well that Carlos Correa is still unsigned. Like, Carlos Correa is still sitting out there in the ether somewhere because turns out that... Maybe not all, all doctors are the same, but like when there's something obviously wrong with your leg and it keeps a doctor from signing off on a $300 million deal, yeah, most doctors are pretty similar. And despite the fact that the Mets seemingly cashed in on the Giants' apprehension, not enough to put pen to paper on this Carlos Correa thing and there's been silence. We don't know what's happening. Like, is there a negotiation? It, it could still, you know, there, there could be some caveats, some, some clauses written into the contract that allow for it to be voided if he re-aggravates the injury or something. But as it stands right now, like, the possibility of Carlos Correa re-entering the market exists. And maybe it's a situation not unlike the one he went into last year where all, all of a sudden he's a Minnesota freaking twin, which nobody could have anticipated. And if that is the case, I mean, shouldn't the Blue Jays be interested in a Carlos Correa big money short-term deal? I think I told you this about Aaron Judge and Justin Verlander. If it's a one-year deal, pay him whatever. I don't care. Let him, like, sell him on, hey, not only will you get the, like, Boris keeps repeating the point. He's played in 89% of his team's games over the last three years. Like this, yeah, it caused him a little soreness in September, but it's not an injury. This is way back in the minors. It's never caused him an issue. There's a reason that he they want the 12 or 13-year deal after doing the one plus one plus one, and it's that players want and deserve long-term security. So it's not like he's like, oh, I got to get this money because my ankle's bad. It's no, I got to get this money because... That's what everyone does when you can get the money. If he hits the market, though, and at this point in the offseason, him and Boris decide, look, there's not another $300 million deal out there. If it's not from the Mets, then it's not coming. Uh, yeah, I would. What, what was this last one? Three years, 100? It was like a rolling one plus one plus one at like yeah. 35, 35, 30 or something like that. Um, first of all, he can have that if he'd like it. He can have one year forty million if he likes it, like double the Semyon deal. Um, he can have whatever if it's a short term deal that like insulates you from that. I'm not. I, I haven't been in there to look at his ankle and, and see, you know, what kind of Play-Doh they built that plate with that they're concerned about or whatever. But yeah, like on a one year deal, absolutely throw whatever you can at him, even if it was like a three year deal. Like that doesn't hamstring you or ankle you too far into the future 
Um, like, like, no, the Jays aren't going to get in the mix and offer him 12 years, 300 million. Like no. that, I just don't think that's within this front office's style. Or... Well, apparently the Mets aren't even doing that anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but I do think on a short-term deal, like, yeah, pay him whatever. Yeah. And where would he play is the, is the question that comes to mind, but yeah, well, that I'm... would depend almost to me, almost entirely on the term of the contract. Yeah. Because this is a guy who by his own agent's admission and by the talking points when he signed in New York is a shortstop who will eventually need to play third base. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays have Matt Chapman there for at least one more year. Correa is currently a shortstop. Yeah, You could move Bo Bichette to second base, who at least body-wise and arm-wise is maybe a more natural second baseman than Carlos Correa is. Like, if we're talking which one of those guys would more easily move to second. But if Correa is going to have to move off that position eventually anyway... right. Then you get into a weird sort of like, do you move him to second for a year? He's do six you... four, and I don't I know. remember a lot of six four second basemen. <laughs> it, and, would and... Be, it would honestly like be kind of intimidating. I think with like <laughs> him, Vlad, and Chapman, and Bo's not small, but no. like he's shortstop size. But like to have three, like it's like the Yankees outfield, but. With infielders. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Oh, and yeah, you want to steal second? Come I, through. <laughs> yeah, the I, I mean, my my baseball brain um, makes me think that anybody that's capable of playing shortstop, despite their size, can move almost anywhere on the diamond, right? You tell me Carlos Gray can play left field? Yeah, I think he'd probably be okay. But again, to your point, that Matt Chapman's future beyond 2023 is in severe doubt, and he might resign with the Toronto Blue Jays. He might be. I, yeah, what? if I had to guess right now, I, like I, it's just hard to see because he'll be 30 next year. It's hard mm-hmm. to see this franchise like re-upping him. Like they haven't really Springer aside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want him to go. I love watching that guy play defense. Well, and there's no obvious fit, you know, that position. Yeah, is Addison Barger like is he the third baseman of the future? I mean, he can hit, and he can, but I think he's, like, like, the draw with him, as I understand it from talking to a couple scouting people, is, like, in an emergency situation, he could play shortstop. Like, he can play a shortstop in the minors, mm-hmm. but at the major league level, like, you would want him to be, like, uh, in case of emergency shortstop. But second and third, he's both fine, probably best off at second long term, mm-hmm. um, but he can hit. Mm-hmm. So, if a guy hits, who cares? Here's the other thing. Matt Chapman... I don't actually believe this. He's only listed at six feet tall. I feel like he's much bigger than that. He he strikes me as a big guy. He has big guy presence. Yeah, maybe he can move to second base. <laughs> maybe we were talking about him as a shortstop if Bobachet was hurt at one point last year. Oh yeah, no, he was the emergency shortstop for sure. Yeah. And I think Ross Atkins said as much. And it, with like how much they shifted, he was like the borderline shortstop sometimes. Anyway, no, it's a great great point. Anyways, you can dream on Carlos Correa, um, and not- I will. Yeah, uh, why not? Um, it is weird that we still haven't heard anything from the yeah, Mets he, in his camp. And, like, yeah, there's a lot of injury concern. But, again, on a short-term deal, this guy has been worth almost 11 wins over the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know what's confusing to me is that, like, obviously the Mets knew that there was going to be this issue when they put him through their own physical. Yeah, that's how he became available. I, I, it's, I don't know. I guess eventually that the story will be told, but um, and like, are we just gonna go down? Like, someone now is gonna be like, oh, eleven years, two seventy five, and then ten, two fifty, and then it'll just keep going down, and then eventually the Jays will be like one year forty. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know what? And that's a good point because if if that's where we're headed, 
what why would a short-term deal make sense for Carlos Correa if he's just going to have the same issue trying to get a longer-term deal mm-hmm. next? I mean, at that point, then maybe he is. Like, we get in a reverse bidding war now where it's like, yeah, the, you start the bidding much lower, and then yeah. where are our teams comfortable in, in a longer-term scenario for Carlos Correa? That's probably more likely than the re-entering the marketplace yeah. again in 2024 where yeah. we, we got the same scenario presenting itself, unless this is an injury or, you know, a scan that's going to look differently next time he signs this long-term yeah, deal in just, 2024. It's it's also, it's hard to understand because for a lot of legal reasons and reasons you can absolutely understand for, like, agent relationships and stuff like that, we don't know what the, like, we know the issue is related to the ankle, but that's it. Yeah. We don't know why. We don't know, will the plate need to be replaced and that's a long rehab? Mm-hmm. Is it, like, not healed correctly? Like, we don't know anything. Yeah. What we do know is Steve Cohen was throwing money around like uh, it was Monopoly money. We also know that he went on the record when this deal was made, which, uh, you know, according to some of the reports that I've read, may come back to haunt him if there is some sort of recourse in regards to the think, contract language. You think Scott Boris would get litigious yeah. over a baseball contract? I, I kind of do. All right. Um, Leafs host the Blues. First game of 2023 for them tonight. Uh, pre-game show coming your way in about 10 minutes' time. Ilya Samsonov getting the nod in goal, trying to remain unbeaten at home. He's 9-0 and in Toronto this season, but over his last three starts, he's been not great. Uh, 12 goals he's given up over those three games, 852 save percentage. Matt Murray hasn't been much better, although his last game was real good because the Leafs were real <laughs> good against the Colorado Avalanche. And I don't think that this is like an area of extreme concern. I mean, mostly because... Leafs had a horrible save percentage during the entire regular season last year and still won 115 games. It's always going to be, you know, a big question mark going into the postseason. But it it, it would kind of track with Samsonov's year last year. Like, he started, like, first 10 games for Washington last year. He was great and then totally, totally collapsed. So you, the antennas are at least up on on Samsonov. Um, uh, Rasmus Sandin back as well tonight, which means Connor Timmins is the odd man out. So Poor guy. You, you he's got, been good. He's been great. So here's fully healthy. Connor Timmons, your seventh D. Jordy Ben is your eighth. Victor Mete is your ninth, who's still on long-term injured reserve. So we're get, we're it's still crazy. We're two months away from the NHL's trade deadline. So there's a lot of conversations still to come. <laughs> and we're like four weeks from the NBA one. It's it's wild how the NHL starts first, but like the trade it feels like the NHL trade season is so long. Yeah. I mean, not feels like it is. No, it is very long. Um, so this is a conversation that we're going to continue to have, and injuries are going to change the math and the perception going towards the deadline anyways. But it really does feel like for now, a- unless you're getting, I don't know, Eric Carlson on the back end, that you'd probably be better off you know, reinforcing your top six forward ranks. I think so. But I've thought that for like since prior to some injuries. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, you know, the, a huge component of this is Sandy and Lilligren have shown you they're ready for more. Mm-hmm. Um, Hall has stepped up in a way you probably couldn't have asked him to prior to the season. Like, you certainly wouldn't feel comfortable asking him. And, yeah, there's been a little bit of come down to earth there, but he's back in a, a pairing with Giordano now and probably in more appropriate minutes and, and deployment. It's just, it's hard to see... Like, who are you bumping from this six? Before the season, I would have said Justin Hall. Mm-hmm. I think he's 
played better than that. Now, maybe he's played good and well enough that he could be an outbound piece mm. to balance some of the salary and a team would see value in him. But I think you could enter the playoffs comfortable with this decor right now, um, assuming continued health. I think there is more of a need for either that third line center who can actually add some offensive punch, which is why Bo Horvat is so attractive to me. And that guy is a you want to use some hockey terms. That guy's a gamer. Mm-hmm. Like he would want those big moments. Um, yeah. And then something that allows you to move someone then onto the top six that can do a little something different because there's still that hole. Yeah, there is. And um, in regards to, to Mark Giordano and Justin Hall being used in a, maybe a different deployment since the return of Morgan Riley and mm-hmm. fully healthy, uh, six-man decor for the Toronto Maple Leafs. This, I mean, Connor Timmons is going to get his, his shot either way. But, yeah, you're. I think you're going to see some shuffling here of defensemen because unlike Nick Nurse, I think Sheldon Keefe has shown an ability to think longer term with his deployment throughout the course of a regular mm-hmm. season and and protecting minutes, especially for the, the, the oldest position player in the National Hockey League and Mark Giordano probably going to see uh, a, maybe the some odd healthy, night off. Yeah, some healthy scratches. They they have the a back to back this weekend. It's the first time in like a, a month, over yeah. a month, I think. All right, uh, it's time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Let's start with that Leafs game as the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the St. Louis Blues after just recently getting away with an overtime victory over St. Louis, and they're massive favorites in this one. Of course, the Blues severely banged up. Uh, Leafs minus 250, and the Blues plus 215. Historically this season, anecdotally, I can tell you that the uh, plus number, when the line is that high, uh, does well against the Toronto Maple Leafs. The total is six. If you think that Mitch Marner is going to score a goal, anytime goal score plus 143 for him elsewhere it is the sabers in washington taking on the capitals capitals minus 159 favorites there carolina hurricanes at msg taking on the rangers it's the canes minus 121 rangers plus 104 coyotes in florida taking on the panthers panthers massive favorites minus 335 coyotes plus 265, and it is the uh, Blue Jackets in Ottawa. Senators minus 220, and the Blue Jackets plus 185. That was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Toronto Maple Leafs playing some good hockey, uh, but usually against good teams. They're, they're beating the, the bad teams, though, as well, uh, although it took a, an overtime to beat the St. Louis Blues team. A week and uh, a little bit ago. As long as they're not the Arizona Coyotes, Leafs have a pretty good shot. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Drive Time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.